Warning: The SCP Foundation audio archive is classified. Access by unauthorized personnel is strictly prohibited. Perpetrators will be tracked, located, and detained. QNTM's proposal. Item: SCP-001. Object class: Safe. Special containment procedures. SCP-001 is to be kept locked along with all data pertaining to it inside the primary archival vault on sublevel 1 of Site 10. The vault is a custom-manufactured, reinforced concrete and steel, vertical octagonal prism, see Appendix U for full schematics, with a 2000 kg, 0.9 meter thick, time-locked access portal in the ceiling. The time-locking schedule should be classified and available only to Dr. Y. Mirsky. Access is conditional on three-factor authorization, for example, keycard, fingerprint, and passphrase. SCP-001 is among the safest artifacts in the Foundation's possessions, and these measures are primarily intended to prevent theft. Description SCP-001 is a smooth, black, perfectly ellipsoidal, around 15.1 cm by 15.4 by 16.5 cm oinks gemstone with a mottled white pattern. Wrapped around its exterior, encompassing its equator and both poles, is a complex and layered fractal filigree of gold metal. The gold is sculpted into broad strokes at what is now usually agreed to be the lower or south pole of the object, but with increasing latitude, the pattern becomes progressively more intricate. Near the north pole, also called the lock or singularity, see acquisition report below, the pattern complexity progresses beyond the capability of optical or electrobeam microscopes to resolve. Further investigation is pending advances in microscopy technology. The gemstone continuously emits a small quantity, around 34.5007 to 34.5010 milliwatts, of thermal radiation in the microwave range. As a result, the gold filigree is warm to the touch. The white model areas emit fractionally more radiation than the black oinks areas. Other than this, SCP-001 is totally inert. It is opaque to all forms of electromagnetic and hard radiation, and so far, indestructible. See log for Project Pluto below. Its oinks and gold composition is guessed from visual inspection, since the taking of samples for chemical analysis has proven impossible. Project Pluto Master Log the following experiments have failed to open SCP-001. Conventional lockpicking, brute force assault with hammer, chisel, sledgehammer, bolt cutters, welding torch, bandsaw, etc. Sustained heating to 5000 degrees centigrade in industrial furnace. Artifact reflected all thermal energy and did not increase in temperature. Direct application of industrial cutting laser, around 160 kilowatts per centimeter squared, concentrated on the lock, artifact reflected all energy. Compression in vice, car crusher, hydraulic diamond face press, all destroyed. Application of corrosive acids and other highly oxidizing compounds, no reaction. 
detonation of a plastic and solid explosives up to 0.5 kilotons TNT equivalent at point-blank range. No effect. Detonation of a 15 kiloton TNT equivalent atomic warhead at point-blank range. Authorization granted retroactively by Dr. Mursky. No effect. Project Pluto is ongoing with the full support of Foundation resources, according to Dr. Mursky. SCP-001 Acquisition Report The earliest record of SCP-001 is in the handwritten journal of minor Scottish aristocrat Sir Edwin Young, 3rd Baronet, lived from 1611 to 1677. As was customary at the time, Young kept a cabinet of curiosities, a small room of artifacts of undetermined provenance, such as sculptures, preserved creatures, and trinkets. Young's journal included references to his acquisition in 1654 of ain bound jewel of oinks and filigree gold of fineness beyond rational statement, while traveling across the Mesopotamian desert. The journal indicates that SCP-001 was found buried in the ruin of a bitter, blasted place, older than days, or what Young took to be a temple of a fearsome death god. SCP-001 was found encased in stones at the center of four enormous runic stones. Young's journal includes a sketch of the most readable side of the most well-preserved stone, but he was unable to read the runes or find a scholar who could translate them. Young's account of his journey to the location of the ruin is incomplete. It has not yet been located. Young's selections of curious provenance lay in storage for several centuries after he died. In 1805, his descendants donated SCP-001 to the Scottish National Museum in Edinburgh. The curators of the museum regarded SCP-001 as an ancient, fragile, and priceless example of ancient Sumerian metalworking. They therefore failed to discover its anomalous warmth, its indestructibility, or its impossible microscopic-scale construction. They were, however, able to identify the runes in Young's sketch as tertiary Sumerian cuneiform circa 3400 BCE. Only a partial translation is possible as follows. With loss and unknown, we, or I, unknown, a noun, a pact, probably a proper noun, on this ending or finality, unknown, joy and permanence, possibly protection. Mr. McCandish, who performed the translation, noted, This appears to be some sort of incantation or spell of containment. A pact is the same name of whoever is imprisoned within the gemstone. SCP-001 was finally placed on semi-permanent display in 1949. In 2003, Foundation staff observed that the mottled white patterns on the surface of SCP-001 resembled the cosmic microwave background, a pattern of microwaves encompassing the entire observable universe. As mapped by NASA's Wilkinson Microwave Anistrophy Probe earlier that year, closer inspection showed that the two patterns were identical. SCP-001, along with Baronet Young's journal, was immediately purchased by a Foundation Front organization and transferred to Site-10. 
Dr. Q. Hack and Dr. Wymerski performed initial routine analysis. Research continues under the auspices of Dr. Mirsky, Dr. Hack having recently left the foundation. Young's journal also includes several detailed sketches of SCP-001. In one of the sketches, a small ornate object resembling a key is shown fitted into its north pole. The key has not been recovered. SCP-001 is an O5's tale. Good evening, doctor. No, no, don't stand up. And yes, I am who you think I am. Let's not make any more of this than it is. You know my number, and I know enough about you to make a duplicate that even your mother wouldn't be able to tell apart from the real you. No, that's not a threat, just a fact. Now, as to my business here, it seems you have stumbled upon something above your clearance. Well, no, stumbled is not the right word. Dug up? Perhaps. And you are getting to the point where further digging would end in some fairly lethal gunshot wounds. This would be a sad state of affairs, as you are otherwise quite a good researcher. Therefore, you are getting something very few people in the Foundation would ever get. An explanation. Yes. We were alerted when you first started digging into SCP-001. Every researcher who's been around for a while looks into it. Most are satisfied when they uncover the angel with a flaming sword is buried under enough levels. But then you started looking into the factory, and that is when I knew you wouldn't stop. So here it is, plain and simple. The factory is SCP-001. But it will never be written up. It was a choice I made early on in the creation of a foundation, and a choice I still stand by. You researchers are far too curious. I'm not sure which scares me worst, that we'll never understand the factory, or that we one day will. Ah oh well, I'm sure you're eager to learn more. The factory was built in 1835. Back then, it was known as the Anderson Factory, named after James Anderson, a rather well-to-do industrialist. It was built in, well, let's just say America, and it was the largest factory yet designed, a good mile across at its widest, three stories tall throughout, with a special seven-story tower by the front gate that Anderson lived in. It was designed to be the ultimate factory, capable of taking care of everything including the housing of workers. People could be born, work, live, and die, without ever leaving the confines of the factory. And work they did, on everything from cattle raising and slaughtering, to textiles, to everything else under the sun. Now, nobody knows whether James Anderson was actually a Satan worshipper. It's just as likely that he followed some kind of pagan gods. What is known is that he was very exact in the building of his factory and in the placement of his machinery within it. Survivors claim the floor was engraved with arcane symbols and they were only visible when blood flowed across them. But then the survivors claimed a lot of things. What is known is that Anderson made money on the blood and sweat and sometimes body parts of the lower class. His journals indicate he thought of them as less than human, being put on this earth only to serve his will. Of course, at that time, no one knew about his predilections, and so people flocked to the factory, a place to both work at the same time. Well, of course people wanted in, 
never mind the harsh hours, working conditions, sadistic security force, and all of the rest. Factory workers were forced to work 16-hour days, work only shutting down on Sundays between sunrise and sunset. Workers were not given individual rooms, instead sharing rooms with eight other people, sleeping in shifts of three. Medical attention was unheard of. If you were injured in the course of your duties, which most people were, you were expected to just keep working. Anyone too injured to work was dragged off by the security, never to be heard from again. For 40 years, the Anderson factory cranked out all sorts of things for people. Meat, clothes, weapons. Never mind that the beef might be mixed with human. Don't care that weapons were forged in blood. No attention needed to be paid that the clothes were dyed with. Well, you get the idea. Rumors leaked out, but the products were so good. Why bother? Until someone got out. I never met the brave soul who managed to escape, but she managed to meet with President Grant, and in 1875, he enlisted my aid. At that time, I was... well, it doesn't matter. We'll say I was military, kind of, and that my people were the same. A hundred and fifty good men and some few women who were often given jobs that weren't supposed to be common knowledge. We'd been cleaning out some Confederate holdouts and some of the worst things we found down south. So we did some research, didn't like what we saw, and went in, loaded for bear. I don't actually remember much about the night it all went down. Most of it blends together in my head. I get flashes sometimes of the people chained to the line, living next to the dead, and damned hard to tell which was which. Children working underneath machines, the majority of the flesh scoured from their bones by the great wheels and cogs, and the other things. No, I'm alright. I haven't thought about that night for a very long time. The security force wasn't much of a problem, but then Anderson's creations showed up. He'd been taking the injured workers and, well, experimenting on them. Men, if you could call them men, with multiple arms sewn together, some of them combined with animals, horrible monstrosities out of mankind's worst nightmares. They kept coming, wave after wave of not-quite-living creatures. I lost a lot of good people that night. And then we found Anderson's breeding pits, girls as young as eight, chained to the walls, forced to be nothing more than... I'm sorry. Even today, more than a century later, the memory makes me see red. When we finally found Anderson cowering in his office, we hung him from his tower window with his own entrails. As he died, he laughed, saying it didn't matter. We could kill him, but his factory, the factory, would go on. He was still laughing 24 hours later when we finally cut him down, had him drawn and quartered, and then burned the remains. The entire time, he uttered blasphemies I don't like to think about. We spent a week cleaning that place out, freeing the workers, putting down the things we found in the basements and many lightless rooms. We pulled out things that were useful, stocked them in a house near the gate, tried to make sense of everything. A hundred and fifty of us went into that hell pit that night, and only ninety-three of us came out. By the end of that week, we were down to seventy-one. But the things we found in there, my god. 
Well, you've been with the Foundation a while. They wouldn't seem as amazing to you, but we found toy guns that shot real bullets. A yo-yo that would flay the skin from anything it touched. Hammers that only worked on human flesh. A breed of skeletal horse that ran faster than anything we've ever seen. Cloaks that seemed woven from the night itself and let men access a shadowy dimension that I get away from myself. We found tools, both wondrous and horrible, and we were faced with a choice. I gathered my highest ranking, well, we'll call them officers to me, and we tried to figure out what we should do. They all had opinions. The chaplain, he had gone a little crazed. Thought all of these objects must be miracles sent from God, holy relics to be worshipped. Marshall and his little toady Dawkins thought that there was a fortune to be made here, making and selling these things to the highest bidder. The Injun we all called Base, due to his deep speaking voice, he called these things an abomination and declared that we should hunt them down and destroy everything we could find. And Smith thought we should take this back to the president. The only one without an opinion was the old man, but he never said much of anything anyways. We argued for hours, days, trying to work it out. Me? I thought we were sitting on a gold mine, alright? But that we could use these things, these objects, to hunt down some of the scary things that we'd run into down south, the other monsters this world had to offer, and use this factory for good, as a place to contain these things, find a way to make them work for our fellow man, or at least protect our fellow man from having to deal with them. I'm sure you can figure out what happened. The chaplain snuck away in the night with his devotees, taking a couple of small items with him. Marshall we kicked when we found him abusing his authority. He promised he'd get revenge, and that little Dawkins shit let the rest of their group off with some of the juicier items. Base and his people tried to light the whole damn thing on fire, and just left when it didn't work. And Smith left to report back to the president. I did manage to get him to promise he'd tell Grant the factory had been destroyed. I had big plans for that place. Of course, it was kind of hard to follow through on big plans when you only have 12 other people to work with. But it was a start. And it worked for a while. We had these amazing toys, and finding people to work with us was easy. Back then, going off the grid was as simple as leaving town. We knew what we wanted, we knew what we could be. Leventhal set out getting us backing. A simple invention here, some well-invested money there, it all worked out. White and Jones set out getting us other backing. In our previous work, we'd found out some interesting things about people. Some secrets that powerful men didn't want getting out. And, with our new position helping keep secrets, we got more people asking us to deal with their secrets. Blackmail is a dirty word, but it works. Bright, Argent, and Luminous got to work cataloging the items. Light and Bright's wife, the nurse, they made sure we kept ourselves healthy. <laughs> no, it's just remembering Light. She had such unusual ideas about hygiene for her time. Brilliant woman. Chav, Fleischer and Karnoff dealt with training the troops. Tesla and Tamlin were in charge of figuring out how to take advantage of the items without making it obvious. We were amazing. The city we built around the factory, which we took to calling Site Alpha, was self-supporting. 
agents, researchers, operatives of all sorts, not by those names, of course, but those positions. We expanded. I'm sorry, I'm an old man. I do not look like it, but the body lies. The mind doesn't always remember right, and sometimes I get lost in my memories. Things get confused. But the long and simple of it is, we used the factory. It always seemed to have more empty rooms to store things in. Back then, that was a word for them. Things. No skips then, no. We thought we had the factory tamed. That's one of the reasons I refuse to quit this job. If there's anything I can do here, it's to remind people that we never tamed these things. Contain them, yes. But as we saw with Abel, tame them? Never. After a decade or so, we were pretty organized. The 13 original of us were being called by numbers, not names. We knew how to make things work. And if a thing or two vanished inside the factory, still, and that occasional D-class, well, we had D-class back then, disposables, that's where the D comes from. Had to have someone to test things on, Tesla and Tamlin were very firm about that. But yes, sometimes we lost people who didn't matter. Adam, sorry, Dr. Bright, was fond of saying it was the factory taking its toll. You couldn't get something for nothing. 1911 was when it all went wrong. Things, we called them fairies. An entire race of things living beside us. They could look the same as you or I. The obvious difference was an allergy to iron. That's why we called them fairies. And no, you haven't heard of them. Why? Because it's that one time the Foundation wiped out an entire race of beings, root and branch, and I'm the one who did it. We'd been hunting them for some time. We'd run into them a time or two before, come out on top. So when a certain royal asked us for help, of course we were eager to get them in our debt. We always loved having people in our debt. We sent people to help them out, take care of what we thought was a hunting party. The next time we saw them, their heads were on poles attached to saddles of the creature the fairies rode when they attacked the factory. It was horrible. Three words, but they convey so much. I have never... I'm sorry, please give me a moment. I've never told this part to anyone. You should consider yourself lucky. And if you tell anyone any of what I am about to impart on you, I will not just kill you, but everyone who shares your DNA in the worst ways possible. You'll think Procedure 110 Motok was a walk in the park compared to what I would do to you. We lost. The things came and they destroyed us. Rode over iron placements, slathered our people, shrugged off our weapons like they were nothing. I watched my 13 go down, left and right, just trying to hold the factory. And I? I, their leader, their friend, their father figure? Godfather to Bright's four young children? Confidence, sometimes lover, always a confessor? I ran. I ran like a scared little schoolboy, deep into the dark guts of a factory. I was chased by the things, always just one step ahead. I could hear them behind me, feel their breath upon my neck. And I came to a door I'd never seen before. A bronze door, covered in Arabic script of some sort. 
I've never been one for languages, especially not the curvy bullshit the muscle men use, but I don't care. They were coming for me, and I threw the door open and dived through it. Everything inside was different. There was a feeling of peace, that nothing could hurt me here. The light was this dark red, but it still felt right. My ears were filled with the same steady thrumming of a gigantic heartbeat. And in front of me were the remains of Anderson. It spoke to me then, but I'll be damned if I could tell you exactly what it said. What it told me was more meaning than exact. It offered me hope. It told me... It told me that each of the things we had used from the factory, no matter what we did with them, fed it, helped it grow. But if the fairies took the factory, they would destroy it, and we couldn't have that. It offered me a deal. It could remove this event, make it have never happened. All I needed to give it was us. I didn't want to. I knew it was a bad idea. But then I saw them again, my family, my friends, dead. Dead by the hands of those bastards. I agreed, and it smiled. And I found myself once more upon the ramparts, watching the horde of fairies crest the hill, my foundation alive once more. In my hands was a weapon. I won't bore you with the details, but we slaughtered them. And with those new weapons, continue to slaughter them, everywhere they lived, everywhere they bred. My fellow O5s questioned my decisions, thinking we should save more in case we might ever need them. I overruled them. We moved away from the factory, shut it down, moved our things out of there. We changed the name from things to special containment protocols, focusing on containing them, not anything else. The others were curious but understood I had my reasons. I boarded up the factory, locked it shut, buried it under a ton of rubble, saying it was too dangerous. I thought, thought I'd gotten away with it. Until I found a thing on my desk, one of the old toy guns that shot real bullets, and it had the factory label on it. I've sent people in from time to time to see what it might be doing. Last time I sent people in to look, there was nothing there. We keep finding factory items out there. I can't help but think of how many more we don't find. The people who use them and keep it hidden. I think back to the body telling me how each item we used gave energy to the factory. I never asked it, energy for what? I don't think I would want to know. What do we give it? D-class mostly. Where did you think all of those bodies went? There's a place. Bodies are left and they vanish. Everyone thinks I'm a genius for figuring it out. Sometimes. Sometimes I have to feed it other things. Researchers agents. They never know it's coming. It just reaches out and takes them. But in the end, we're doing more good by being here. Whatever the factory wants, whatever it is, we're doing good here, and I have to believe that. And now you know. Are you happy? I don't think so. Why did I tell you? I'm getting old, Everett. Should I die, someone will have to keep feeding it. Maybe you'll be different. Maybe you'll figure out how to stand up to it, but I doubt it. Dr. Mann's Proposal Item 
SCP-001 Object Class Embla Containment Procedures SCP-001 is contained on the grounds of Site-0 in the A fence has been constructed around the perimeter of SCP-001's observed effects. In addition to Site-0 security, no fewer than five armed guards are to be present at all times to prevent unauthorized entry. The adjoining physics laboratory will be manned at all times, studying any anomalies. A small metal plaque bearing an inscription will be maintained in good condition. Any damage is to be immediately reported to maintenance. Description SCP-001 is a circular gravel path in a wooded area. When traveled in a counterclockwise direction, the trail is continuously uphill, even after reaching the original point. When traveled in a clockwise direction, the trail shows the same amount of downhill and uphill travel as expected. Level 5 clearance is required to access SCP-001's experiment log. New members of Overseer Council are required to read document 001-05. Dr. Mackenzie's Proposal Item SCP-001 Object Class Euclid Special Containment Procedures All elements of SCP-001 are to be contained in separate, environment-controlled lockers at Site-0. The location of Site-0 is classified Level 5 and is only known by members of O5 Command. Access to SCP-001, its transcriptions and data, is restricted to O5-level personnel, except during Protocol Zero. Protocol Zero may only be enacted by a direct, unanimous act by the entirety of O5 Command, and Protocol Zero procedures are to be disseminated only to those specifically permitted by O5 Command. Description SCP-001 is a set of two objects and 33 documents belonging to <coughs> alias the administrator. SCP-001-01 and SCP-001-02 respectively are SCP-001-03 through SCP-001-35 are a mixed set of handwritten and printed documents. They are normal in all respects, except that they do not show signs of aging or fading in any way, and the dating of the paper on which they are comprised has shown inconsistent results. The contents of these documents, as detailed below, consist of As these objects form the impetus for creation of the SCP Foundation and all of its constituent activities and processes. As such, this information is only to be disseminated by direct order of O5 Command as per Protocol Zero. Classified Level 5 by order of O5 Command, eyes only. Authorized access of these documents is punishable by immediate termination. Addendum 001 
Analysis of SCP-001-01 and SCP-001-02 SCP-001-01 is a smooth device composed of an unidentified gray metallic substance approximately 22 centimeters wide, 30 centimeters tall, and 1.5 centimeters thick. It is unusually heavy, weighing approximately 8.2 kilograms. It is equipped with a small digital display and has a single opening that appears to be a type of keyed activation switch. Attempts to disassemble the device or analyze its technology have been unsuccessful so far, as there appear to be no seams or fasteners visible on the surface. Attempts to image the interior of SCP-001-01 utilizing X-ray or magnetic resonance have resulted in inconsistent results, suggesting that the device is either too dense to properly image or has inconsistent internal topography. SCP-001-01 appears to be only capable of displaying two indicators. One appears to be a status or progress bar with an accompanying number, currently at approximately 23%. The other indicator is a single digital counter displaying the number of SCP-001-02 is a small key composed of the same unidentified metallic substance as the main casing of SCP-001-01. It is currently assumed that this is the activation key for SCP-001-01. Addendum 001-002 Transcript of SCP-001 Documents SCP-001-03 is a personal diary belonging to the administrator. SCP-001-04 through SCP-001-35 were inserted between various pages of SCP-001-03 at the time of discovery. Excerpt from SCP-001-03, page 1. I have always hated the idea of writing in a diary. Documentation is one thing, but I guess I never saw the point in putting down my personal thoughts. The scientist in me is telling me that, someday, someone might want to know how this all started. Excerpt from SCP-001-03, page 3. They say that the first time is always the hardest. I have managed to secure funding and personnel from the federal government, and I have established an organization that will allow me to continue the research. President insists that I turn the device over for safekeeping, but I have made it clear that I can't let it out of my possession. Excerpt from SCP-001-03, page 7. Progress, unfortunately, has been slow these past decades. I am adamant that we cannot reproduce this technology until we have found a solution, as I'm sure that unless we kill both birds with one stone, we will simply hasten the process. Excerpt from SCP-001-03, page 9. I had to kill them. They had been reproducing the technology all along and hiding it from me. I will be moving on in the next 24 hours. This place is doomed at this point. Excerpt from SCP-001-03, page 15. Again, I will not make the same mistake again. The mere thought of lying to the very people I need to reach my goal is bitter, but I can no longer afford to let them know the truth.
SCP-001-05 is a page printed from what appears to be an inkjet printer, found inserted between pages 15 and 16 of SCP-001-03. This page has been preserved in the same unidentified method as the rest of the documents in SCP-001. Memo from the Office of the Administrator Humanity has existed in its current state for hundreds of millennia, yet only the past few have held any meaning for us. What did we do for the countless years before recorded history? We huddled in caves, warding off the night with small fires, fearful of only the things that we could not understand. It was not just that we did not understand why the sun rose every morning, it was a mystery of the enormous fish with heads of men, and rocks that came to life, and monsters that drove those who saw them mad. So we called them angels and devils, begged them to spare us from their wrath, and prayed for salvation. As time passed, their numbers died out and mankind flourished. The world began to make more sense, yet the unexplained can never truly go away. As if the universe requires for more things we can never truly understand. Yet, the unexplained can never truly go away. As if the universe requires for there to be more things we can never truly understand. We will not go back into the dark fearful night. We will not be ruled by the unknown. We will stand up for ourselves. Even as the rest of humanity remains uninformed, we will fight the darkness, containing it and shielding it from the eyes of the common men, so that they continue to live in their blissful illusion of a normal world. Excerpt from SCP-001-03, page 22. Their faces haunt me in my dreams, hundreds, thousands of them, ones who blindly went to their deaths, for me. Excerpt from SCP-001-03, page 28. Made a mistake, told someone the truth, the night before I left, had to use the last of my original medical supplies. In a way, I wish he had aimed for the head. Excerpt from SCP-001-03, page 41. This one solved an equation that could set a framework for the rest of a solution. I killed them by my own hand. Could they have ever imagined that it was an act of mercy? Excerpt from SCP-001-03, page 64. I suddenly remembered today what they told me before I left. They said that I probably wouldn't see anything, that I would probably simply fall asleep and wake up again. They lied. I can see them as they are consumed by madness, as the walls of reality crack and shatter, only to be replaced as if nothing happened. I can see everything. Final excerpt from SCP-001-03, page 68. It is finally done. The equations are complete, the math is good, but it comes out too late once again. This team will not have the time to construct the solution, and I will have to abandon the foundation again. But I do so with knowledge that no more will have to suffer the same fate. SCP-001-34 is a worn, handwritten page discovered between the front cover and first page of SCP-001-03. To whom it may concern, first, I want to say that I am sorry for everything. I have most likely doomed you and everyone you have ever known to death and destruction by my mere presence in your world. If you are in possession of and reading this document, then I am probably dead. 
If that is the case, and I did not bother to destroy this evidence, that means I also have probably failed in my mission. This means that my responsibilities have passed on to you, and that your fate and the fate of your world are now in your hands. I was not born into your world. I am a traveler from a parallel plane of existence, an alternate reality separate from your universe. The year from which I originate is of little consequence. If I've learned anything from my travels, the passing of time from universe to universe is meaningless. What is important is that in my place of origin, mankind was highly advanced. We harnessed the power of entire stars, molded planets and moons alike to suit our needs, and even learned to manipulate the fabric of reality itself. We had conquered death through our advances in medicine and technology, and we thought ourselves master of our own fate. We realized too late that all things have a cost, and that our greed and hubris could not only result in the loss of everything we held dear, but doom countless others as well. Our meddling in the structure of existence had opened up cracks and twists in the fabric of reality, a corruption of the multiverse that we had failed to notice earlier, because we could not see the pieces of our reality leaking into others. By the time feedback began to manifest, it was already too late to stop it. Before this corruption consumed us entirely, we came up with one final fail-safe. We would gather up what knowledge we could save and sacrifice our world to send a single individual through to the next. This could not repair the damage that had already been done, but could buy us some time to start over, to find a way to stop the corruption of reality. That individual was me. If you have not already found them, then the evidence to support my claims will start to bleed into your world soon enough. Like a rain of glass, the shattered remains of other universes will begin to fall and slip into yours. Things that defy your understanding, fixed loops and structures with no meaning or rhyme that cannot be destroyed by means you possess. Things that drive men mad and challenge all the assumptions that you hold dear. That is why I carry with me the final legacy of countless worlds. The equations and technology described in its pages carry with them the hope of stopping the corruption, a hope that has come with a heavy price. They are the last will and testament of a bloody trail of universes that have sacrificed and been sacrificed. Those who remain may avoid their fate. At the time of this writing, they are nearly complete, but time is ever against me. If I am no longer able to see this mission through its bitter end, then it falls to you to finish what I began. Good luck. The Administrator SCP-001-35 is a single handwritten page found between the last page and cover of SCP-001-03. The handwriting in SCP-001-35 is inconsistent with that of other handwritten documents in SCP-001. This is it, the last evidence that our civilization will have ever existed. No one is entirely sure what will happen when you activate the failsafe. Some of them are saying that the backlash from using it will instantly shatter what remains of our existence. Others are saying that using some of this power will merely accelerate the corruption by hundredfold. Either way, it will be quick.
by the time you wake up at your destination, there will be nothing left of our home. You already know that it will only carry a single passenger, and the second team should have your gear ready by the time you're ready to go. I can only hope that with time we've bought you, you can find a way to stop this disaster. If not, the device will keep track of our relative corruption level of local reality, as well as how many times it's been activated. A bit sadistic of us, perhaps? By the time you read this, I already will be dead. I'm sorry, but you have always been the stronger one. I don't have the strength to face the end with my head held high. Not without you. I love you. Addendum 001-03 SCP-001-03 36. References found within the documents comprising SCP-001 suggest the existence of SCP-001-36, an electronic device or large document containing comprehensive technological and mathematical data related to SCP-001. The current whereabouts of SCP-001-36 are unknown. The next part of SCP-001 will be uploaded to this audio archive in a few days. For more information and links, please see the show notes.